This is a podcast from Minute Media. Oh. <laughs> it would be a wall spot, eh? Hello, 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 and welcome to a special episode of Wolves Fancast. Big thanks to everyone who's joined us this evening to talk all about the sacking of Bruno Large. I'm joined with Andy, uh, Stu, and a special guest with us tonight, Zach Lowy, all the way from America. He's a Portuguese football expert. How are you, Zach? Doing very well. Excited to be uh, here on the Wolves Fancast. Got a lot to discuss, so really excited to get I stuck in. You know what? Let's get it straight away. So, I think the, it, the writing was on the wall after the defeat uh, to West Ham, um, and by mid-afternoon on Sunday, it had all been com- all but been confirmed by the club. We didn't unfortunately get the iconic corner flag um, shot. We got we got the uh, we got a personalised photo instead, but. Stu, I'll come to you first. I mean, we, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, and I think pretty much it. There, there's no turning back from around, I guess, the Bournemouth game, you could say. But what was your re- initial reaction to it um, yesterday evening? Um, I did think that it would be one of them where if he, he hadn't gone straight after the game, he might survive. Um, but obviously... <laughs> I think they actually bowed to, like the people were suggesting that they bowed to fan pressure and stuff like that, and and rightly so. I think, I think the the main thing about the West Ham game, he was that one of the first times he wasn't wearing a Castor branded top on the on the sidelines, and you think, well, if he, if he's gone outside of the company policy, then the writing really is on the wall. But yeah, it was just relief more than anything else because I was dreading Chelsea, and now it's we're dreading it for a different reason. But it's going to be a bit of a laugh. Uh, but yeah, I'm just glad it's all over now, and we can we can move on. And yeah, not, not so, I'm more pissed off if we have to get me angry again that if this wasn't just done before the international break, and it's like another wasted three weeks. Which what would have changed in that period of time when clearly nothing has. So I mean that that was the only bad thing about it. But yeah, I'm I'm just glad it's over with really. Yeah, Andy, I know you're not a... Uh, to be honest, there doesn't seem to be too many Bruno apologists out there, um, <laughs> for, for want of a better term. But again, uh, what was your kind of view on it yesterday and kind of how it went down? Because it wasn't the most edifying of endings for Madrid's not being completely terrible as a Wolves manager. It, it was a bit strange because most of the time the club have got in front of the press and they're the ones who've released the story uh, but this time obviously we had quite a bit of spatterings of rumors here there and everywhere that it was uh done and dusted and then it was like a good few hours later before we got it i, I got i sort of felt apathy if anything like i wasn't i didn't feel vindicated that we've got rid of him and i also didn't think oh well he deserved a bit longer because I don't really think he did. It felt like it was the natural end to his reign, if I'm being 
perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, Zach, as someone from, I guess, the outside looking in, have you kind of viewed Bruno Large's time at Wolves, and particularly, I guess, since the start of this season, because there has been a very downward trajectory over the last sort of what, six months at Wolves for him, but I'm, I'm keen to kind of hear your views on him as a coach and say how, how it's kind of unfolded the last few weeks and months. Yeah, of course. Look, Bruno Lodge, um, you know, came to my attention in uh, 2018 when he took charge of Benfica's head coaching position. And uh, one thing that I think more than just the quality of the football, uh, one thing that caught my eye was the amount of young players who got chances uh, in the first team. Players that previously under, under uh, prior management may have been ignored uh, in the first team setup, such as Florentino Luis, um, Ferro, Joao Felix is the big one. And I think that really allowed Benfica to sway the momentum, uh, make up a very large deficit on Sergio Conceição's Porto, and eventually win uh, the Primera Liga title, reclaim uh, their Portuguese title, and that has been the last time they had won it. Um, Joao Félix ended up leaving the the prior the following summer, and it seemed like Benfica were just never really able to recover from that um, under Lodge. And similarly to Wolves, I think that you know eventually when it got sour, it just continued to uh, spiral out of control, but to the point where Lodge wasn't even able able to finish uh, the second season, got sacked in the following, in the, in the final week. So look, I was definitely skeptical of this move going into it. I felt that when, when I saw the appointment, I felt that this was more, uh, you're, you're getting a coach like Bruno Lodge who is happy to, who, to play young players, but is also connected to George Mendes and just a food, obviously a massive part um, of Wolves and someone who's going to allow uh, his clients plenty of game time. I was so I was definitely a bit uh, skeptical from that regard. I do think that you have to give Bruno Lodge some credit though for his first season. Um, I did not expect to. I did not expect Wolves to do as well as they did. I think that they had at least on paper positive results considering so many flaws in their squad. Uh, the biggest one for me being lack of that uh, center forward who can win you games, right? It wasn't uh, Fabio Silva, of course. It wasn't Juan Hee Chan. And frankly, this Raul Jimenez is not the same uh, one that tore up the Premier League just a few years prior. So center forward, I think that that was always the biggest what if for this Wolves side. Um, and I also think that another issue was the squad depth. Those were my two concerns going into the season, especially considering how Wolves ended last season, really kind of uh, falling apart in the final week. So, look, they invested heavily. They backed their manager. I think you can't, you you cannot uh, say that they did not back Bruno Lodge. They brought in Mateus Nunes, uh, Gonzalo Getch, Sasa Kaladzic, obviously getting uh, a season-ending injury just d- days after signing, which is really unfortunate and kind of encapsulates this entire campaign uh, from Wolves' standpoint so far. Um, we'll see what happens with Diego Costa, if he can restore those previous levels, but obviously it will not be under Bruno Lodge. Um, and I think that, you know, they get, they had eventually given him 
enough time. Uh, too much of what we've saw, we just really wasn't able to be uh, rectified. One win all season in the Premier League, um, I believe two or three draws, and overall just similarly uh, uninspiring football, not creating enough chances with, you know, okay, fair enough, you don't have that bona fide center forward. You, you know, you don't have a Dominic Calvert-Lewin or an Ivan Tony, but you do have some very talented players in the likes of uh, Pedro Neto, Daniel Podence, uh, Mateus Nunes. You know, you have enough players to, I think, do better than what, what you are currently doing. So when, you know, when, when you combine all this together, the performances, the results, and, you know, you start to wonder, does Bruno Lodge still have the dressing room? I think that it, it really was. Uh, the, the writing was definitely on the wall. My only question is, why, did you, why didn't Wolves uh, pull the trigger before international break? I'm always a bit confused whenever a club uh, sacks a manager in the first week after international break. It's like, you could have given your new manager two weeks uh, to settle this. You know, as a 2 nothing lost to West Ham. It, is, is that really the straw that breaks the camel back? So I was a bit confused there. Um, I do think it was ironic, though, how, you know, Wolves, the, the, the game that really was the straw that broke the camel's back was this defeat against West Ham. A West Ham side that was starting Craig Dawson, who obviously Wolves were linked with uh, in the final day of the window. That fell through. And now, you know, you're, you're looking at this where, okay, Wolves have brought in a very uh, promising center forward in Nathan Collins, showing some signs of life alongside Max Kilman. And yet, you know, one injury, one suspension here and there, and you're down to the bare brittle. You're down to playing Ruben Neves, Johnny Castro uh, in a back three, whilst the likes of Connor Cody is, starting, is, is scoring and starting for Everton. So many others, such as Roman Seiss and um, uh, Wilfred Bolli, obviously playing for other teams. So I do think that that was an issue for Wolves. They kind of left themselves a bit short in terms of depth. Um, you know, they they it would have been one thing if they had brought Gonzalo Getch and kept hold of Morgan Gibbs White. Uh, it seemed like it was more of a like for like replacement. So you can't really say that they were adding. To the depth. Um, overall, though, I I think it was justified. I would have sacked him before the international break, but uh, now it's time for Wolves to move on with a new coach. Can I can I just say, Zach? You know what? When you said about how at Benfica, how he was from your point of view, how he him blooding the young players was one of his plus points. Why do you think he completely went against that here? where you had like Tati Gomez who came in last season and four games and he did really well in, in central defence, just completely ignored for whatever reason. You've got any of the two or three of the under-23 under slash under-21 strikers who've never even been given a sniff. Ryan uh, Charles. Ryan Charles as well. Mm. You have Chem Campbell who he played for a little bit at the end. And I think we were sold that dream at the start for the same reason, the young players. And we've got a decent crop of them. And we never saw it. <laughs> and against West Ham, you looked at we had two young defenders on the bench, and he just ignored them to play Nevis there. Yeah, and look, it's a very good question. I think that that's something that Wolves have struggled with in general since their return to the top flight. Not just in their Bruno Lodge, but also Mumo Espirito Santo. Um, we're talking about not just uh, players from the Molino 
academy pipeline, but also young talents who they've uh, scouted, you know, throughout Europe. Toti Gomes is a good example. Yersin Mosquera, right? You've got two promising center backs uh, available to play. I believe both were available, and you're going to go with Ruben Nevsh and Johnny Castro. You know, I think that was definitely a bit of a uh, a, a sore subject. And, and another thing is. You need, as a manager, you need to maintain a meritocracy. You need to send a message to certain players. If you are underperforming, you're going to get dropped. I think that was something that Bruno Lodge uh, perhaps failed to do, not just at uh, Wolves, but also Benfica, that eventually led to his downfall. Um, and I think perhaps not needing to work as well on that man management side of things, um, that's, that, that is something that is just as important as tactics when you're talking about getting a team out of a funk and you know getting them to reach their potential in terms of creating chances being solid at the back having that balance and you know one thing i will say is that it never really felt like bruno lodge had managed to establish a tactical identity with this wolf side um you know <laughs> he was trying to plug in different pieces going from a back three to a back four uh trying to uh, break, you know, bring in his new system, perhaps without the players required, as well as uh, going back to Nuno Espirito Santo's blueprint. So it seemed as well that he wasn't really uh, strict. He wasn't really strong in his convictions. You know, he never really knew what to do uh, with this wolf side, where to take it forward. I do think that, you know, his complaints with personnel, they are justified in some regards, but... Uh, at the end of the day, when when your um, when your center forward deadline day arrival gets a season-ending injury, you know there's just not that much you can do. Wolves did sign Diego Costa, um, you know, a player who has done a lot in the Premier League, but who's clearly his days, his best days are behind them. We'll see what happens there, but I, I do think that the center forward position has been um, a a position that Wolves have been frankly, ignoring for a while. And obviously, will remains to be seen if Sasa uh, can uh, fill that void once he is back from injury. But uh, I think that is also something that definitely held this Wolves team, Wolves team back a lot last season. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, I'm, I was trying to think if uh, I was almost speechless then about how ruthlessly efficient that breakdown was of this wolf side because it <laughs> just end it now <laughs> i was gonna say yeah but I've, let's move on to the next segment no that, you're completely right on literally uh, uh, on every front and uh, the, the man management one i think has crept up more than more and more and we said a lot of how he is very particularly in the press very upfront about what he thinks a lot of the time whether it's about um transfers or players um and you know he's happily hung players out to dry and we'll, we'll talk in a little bit where it went wrong and what the catalysts were but i think i remember saying at the time we we lost a game to crystal palace and um yankee hoover um basically didn't warm up managed to get injured and he got hung out to dry by bruno and i think i was arguably one of the few on the fan cast who was a bit like i know why he's done it but I think that's going to not mm. sit right with the players. Mm. And I think he's arguably out of a sort of player, of the sort of, you know, I think he's probably a very good coach, whether he's quite got that managerial 
nuance to handle certain situations. And there's been rumours of a couple of training ground bust ups, quote unquote. Um, and, you know, uh, the things that went on with Connor Cody, if you'd like to believe Twitter rumours um, uh, as well. And as I say, I, overall, I think you are. I think it felt like he had some ideas, couldn't, didn't have the conviction to follow through with them completely. And the, 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 the recruitments, I think, were one of the major factors in that, you know, he, he, was, he was very, it was very easy to ship out some of the Deadwood um, or supposed Deadwood. But if you then don't bring in new assets or you don't have faith in your, the ones that are coming <clears> through, you're going to end up in the situation that we're in, you know, to be without basically a centre forward when we've shipped out one of the most promising strikers in Europe in Fabio Silva. You've only got yourself to blame, in my opinion, when there's such an easy route into bringing Fabio Silva into a team this season and he decided against it. And, you know, for, for me, the, the whole West Ham, yeah, we, we, he needed to have been let go after the Man City game because we didn't learn anything against West Ham that we didn't already know about this Wolves team. And as soon as we saw the lineup, we were never going to score with that attacking lineup, were we? Mm. And we were always likely to concede with that defensive lineup, and that is quite literally the worst way you can look at a team sheet. <laughs> and you know, it, it, I think it's come at the right time. I think arguably it could have been sooner. We said in pre-season, Stu. Uh, sorry, post-season even when we reviewed and said, would anyone miss him if he'd have got sacked at the end of last yeah. season? And. I think the reaction was might feel a bit harsh, yeah. but really, um, and it's, it's e- I was going to say it's easy to be revisionist. We said it at the time, but he, he did earn himself the grace of having this preseason, of which, if we're being revisionist on it, yes, we did, we did bring in some quality players and did strengthen that spine of the team. Con- um, Collins, um, Nunes, Kladnich. That, that, that's a, you know, bolstering the spine. Guedes as well. Um, but then you go, well, look how many we then shipped out. And say, like, if he doesn't have faith in, you know, he gets rid of Cody, which, uh, Andy, you, you'll you'll speak for days um, on Connor Cody being the right decision. We got rid of Sace as well, but then we didn't get another centre-half to replace Sace, and he clearly mm. didn't have confidence in. And uh, Willy Cody's. Bolly as well. Don't yeah. forget Willy Bolly went. We lost our three most experienced centre halves and replaced it with someone with forty odd games under his belt. Mm. Uh, and don't get me wrong, Collins does look a, a cut above, but it only takes an injury or a suspension, and all of a sudden you're playing Ruben Neves at centre half. So, <laughs> yeah, as you say, it, it, it's an absolute recipe for disaster. And that couldn't have been the game plan, in, in my opinion, going into the season. And I find it really difficult to to marry up that our our plan B, if Kilman or Collins was injured or suspended, which was always going to happen at some point in the season, was to drop to a back three with Neves as a libero. That, well, that, you know, you're pulling your hair out, surely, if, that, if that's the case. And it just screams as a man who's ran out of ideas. And the fact that Collins had already had three career sendings off at his age already. So it was all, it was literally always going to happen. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was always the case. Um, but 
he has now left. So I want to talk about potential replacements with you guys because I think we're in, I was going to say, interesting ground in terms of who Wolves might um, go for. So I'm just going to share with you sort of some of the relatively live up-to-date odds um, over on Odds Checker um, in terms of who's currently um, in the running. So um, at the moment, it has changed in the last like half an hour um, in terms of sort of your top half three or four, but a, a name that will be familiar to most Wolves fans over the last six years is um, Julian um, Lopetegui, um, who is the current film manager, who infamously turned down Wolves at the last minute um, for uh, to join Wolves when Fosen took over and he took a Spain job instead. And he's basically about to get sacked at Seville, I think is fair to say. Um, we've got Pedro Martins, uh, former Olympiacos manager, Ruben Amorin, uh, the current sporting Lisbon manager. Um, Andre Villas-Boas will need no introductions for Premier League fans. Um, before you move on to the likes of Sergio Canseco and Stu's... Who, Who Rich? Who's that? Say Ser- his name again. Sergio Canseco? No. What did I Is go it- for? <laughs> What did it go for? <laughs> that was that's probably the worst one you've ever done. It's quite so <laughs> at the very least. We get look, I get you give it a go. That, that's, that's, that's why we put it up on the board, Stu, so we all know. And you know what? I, you know, if if, just, if some, one of the audio listeners was hearing you saying Sergio Conseco, they will not really think it was the same person. I, well, it's a good job I did include him in my graphic as well. Because all the other names, and it's a good job we're not going past Sean Dyche on that list, um, because he is still, I mean, he, he's moved down to sort of about 20 to 1. I, I, I do completely appreciate, for anyone listening, before you start typing in, um, I, I know the odds around managerial changes are just basically baloney. Um, and there is sort of a name that has come into serious contention in the last sort of hour or so, and that's both Fenson. Um, as well. So there's a couple of managers I'm interested in um, discussing with you guys. Um, but Zach, I'll come to you first um, to talk about Ruben Amarim, who I guess would be the most coveted, but let's be honest, the least realistic um, for, for Wolves. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that he would be the least realistic option. Um, you take a look at Ruben Amorim's career. Um, he spent a few months at Braga uh, coaching top-level football before Sporting decided to pay an initial fee of 10 million euros, which uh, eventually became around 15 million euros with added fees. So he is, uh, I believe, the second or third most expensive manager in football history, I think behind uh um, Julian Nagelsmann, and so that's really a test to Sporting's confidence in him from the very start. Uh, and it was, uh, it has obviously been justified. Amorim, in his first full season in charge, leading Sporting um, to their first league title in 19 years. Um, the following season, he leads them to the same point total, 85, uh, only to lose the title to a historically good. Porto team um, and still leads Sporting into the uh, Champions League round of 16, pretty massive 
achievement for them. Um, so it, it's fair to say that Amorim has a bit of a cult hero status in sporting. He's done an incredible job at such a young age, I believe 37, uh, 36 years old, and has already done an incredible job there. There are a few reasons why I think it is unrealistic to expect him to leave uh, at this point in the season. I think that Amorim, he has a contract until 2024. Uh, he has a release clause of 30 million euros. Um, and he is obviously in the middle of a season with Sporting, where he, you know, he has a great degree of leverage as well as uh, authority with this team. And I'm not sure if he'd want to, even if Wolves were to offer to pay the full 30 million euros, I'm not 100% convinced that he would uh, accept to leave Sporting at this point and risk damaging his legacy there, um, especially when, you know, Sporting, they are in the Champions League and these other Premier League teams, they are not going anywhere. They're still going to be interested in him when his contract potentially expires in 2024. Uh, that's not to say that Wolves couldn't get him at that point or even next summer, but right now I just can't see it happening. Uh, it was only a year ago uh, when Amorim rejected an offer from RB Leipzig, a, a Champions League, a team that were playing uh, Champions League football and elected to stay, and I would expect him to do the same thing. Um, now, I know some people are saying, well, this sounds exactly like the same thing that you said with Matthäus Nunes. Um, and I will concede that there are some similarities, but there are also a lot of differences. One, Matthäus had already re rejected Wolves um, on previous occasions before, ironically, a chat with, with Bruno Lodge uh, swayed his mind and, and convinced him to join in the final days uh, of the transfer window. Two, to, you, you need to also look at the economics, uh, the, the finances um, of, of the deals involved. Sporting paid a minuscule amount for Matthäus Nunes. He was a starter uh, for one year before joining Wolves for, I think, around 10 million euros less than his release clause. So, look, Sporting, they do sell players uh, for below their release clauses on several occasions, but Ruben Amunim is not a player. And I would argue that he's, you know, he he's one of the few uh, managers in Europe where I actually think he is probably more valuable to the team than any other player. So I just don't see uh, them letting him go um, with with the Champions League campaign still underway after a win against Tottenham and admittedly a disappointing start to the season in, in the league campaign. But, uh, you know, that does not change the fact that he has already built himself up a lot of uh, leverage at the Estadio Jose Alvalade. Yeah. Um yeah, he ain't joining us if we're going to spend 30 million, is he? <laughs> <laughs> we, we could have stopped there knowing, um, knowing the owners, I, I guess, currently. And it, it, it's a real shame because he's, his stock has risen highly in a very short amount of time. Um, and it's going to be interesting, I guess, see how he can develop um, as a coach over the next couple of years. You're right, he's, he's only in theory got a couple of years left on his contract, which will no doubt be extended. And I think that, 
get out of the, the release clause it, it is a huge thing and whether you say he'd want to leave a project like Sporting Lisbon who were you know competing for first place in Portugal to Wolves who were I'm trying to think of what we're competing with to be honest um you know <laughs> tenth, 10th uh, if I'm being realistic at the moment um so I think realistically we can we, we can sort of move him out and it seems like the odds are sort of and the, the feeling around him's going down a little bit um Stu I'm not going to go to the one you want first. Um, I'm going to go to the one you um, made me aware of just before recording in Bo Svensson, who, again, similarly, seems to have a lot of interest around him as a as a manager and was most notably linked to the Brighton job a couple of weeks back. That's the first I'd ever heard of him. <laughs> I mean, I, I, obviously, I do, me and Gully both watch a bit of uh, French and German football for our sins. Um, but I'd never really paid much attention to Mainz, to be honest, other than the fact that they're very much punching above the weight, which is probably why Brighton were looking at him in the kind of Potter-esque role. Um, but the way he plays is... <laughs> it's gag and press on heat by the sounds of things. <laughs> and it, it is very much front foot football, which we do not have the players for at all. Um Playing with the back three, which we have, we can't do now. <laughs> so it's it's all very odd how he's suddenly been linked now. When if you thought about that in the summer, when you think, well, okay, we've got a squad of players who are suited to that way of playing, who can evolve and that kind of thing. But he's more he's more exciting to me than any of the others mentioned, just for the reason that it's something different. It's not the usual carousel of. Mendes, so Mendes clients and that kind of thing. It's 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 a bit of a left field choice and it's a bit excitement. Yeah, it could get completely tits up and we could get relegated, but it's. <laughs> I just the whole lopper take. I know we'll get to him in a bit, but it just seems like a bit of a new now part two kind of thing again, the mm. similar kind of way, and it's not the most attractive. And we've had that for a, while, a long while now, and everyone's a bit bored of it, to be honest. And I think, like I said earlier, with the the Bruno Lage, that we were sold the dream of, and we never got. If we got Lopetegui and we're suddenly playing on the defensive football again, I think it's it'll take a lot to get people on board at this point, really, with him. Um, but yeah, so bring a young manager like this. Yeah, if it's Bas Vincent or not, doesn't really matter. But I'm more impressed that they've looked at someone like this than anyone else that we could have imagined and um, so from that point of view yeah bring it on yeah the, the idea of a bit of rock and roll football is is very appealing to me um i mean andy do you think um jeff she will finally get his man in lopetegi or get or, or do you think it's going to be a case of you know uh, don't get interesting career track records since he rejected walls so many years ago now but uh, is he on that downward curve at this point you know did every sort of missed the boat with him do you think at this point i, I, I feel a little bit that we have i mean he was doing great guns with spain before telling the world that he was leaving spain before he told spain <laughs> that he was leaving spain um so obviously go to real madrid where things went well, they never really got going for him at Real. Um, he's done a good job at Sevilla, but 
I do feel like he's sort of struggling there and there because haven't they gone through a massive period of change over the summer? Much yeah. like ourselves, they've shipped a load out and they've bought a few in. So I feel like he's been struggling for the exact same reasons that Lars has been struggling. Um, and as Stu said, it does feel like it's a return to the, the way we were playing under Nuno if we do go for Lopetegui. He's the least interesting of the names that we've got, but he's also probably the safest pair of hands of the names that we've been linked with. Um, I I don't particularly want him, and I do feel like we've missed the boat, if I'm honest. I, I think you are going to find that his career now will start to be more like your Sean Dyches, where it's going to be helping smaller clubs out. I think that's the, he's going to be his future. Interesting. I think, yeah, if you go off the odds and, and what's being touted, I think Bulls are quite still very keen on him. And again, are they almost waiting for him to be sacked from Seville? And will we end up doing something stupid like paying a release course for a man who's, <laughs> you know, essentially, um, you know, walking the plank um, at, at the moment? Zach, um, again, a, a couple of uh, Portuguese managers, because... You know that's that's who we are. Um, Pedro Pedro Martins and also Vilas Boas um, have been kind of linked. And again, I think the Pedro Martin one seems to have more substance than Vilas Boas um, at, at the moment. But again, Pedro Martins seems to have had a again a very interesting managerial uh, trajectory most recently at Olympiacos. Yeah. So. Um... I actually had the chance to interview Andre Villas-Bosch a year ago in Lisbon. Mm. Um, and I spoke to him about his, uh, at, at that point he was, he had been out of the Marseille job for I believe a year or so. Um, and I s- spoke to him about his short-term and long-term ambitions. One thing that he has been clear about though, is that he wants to run uh, for president of football club Porto in 2024 uh, and succeed Pinto da Costa, who has been in charge since 1982, um, and I believe is the longest-serving president in all of Europe. So it seems that they definitely that that, that uh, he wants to emerge as that candidate. Um, so that would mean, uh, of course, that if Bush were to take the position of Wolves manager, it would be a fairly short-term one. One that would mean he he would only remain at Wolves. Uh, for two seasons max, um, I'm I, I'd be interested to see a return from. But like I said, I think I think it is more unlikely than, for example, Pedro Martins. I would actually say that Pedro Martins and Julian Lopetegui um, are probably the most likely options from my point of view. Bo Svensson, you know, he has done a great job at Mines, taking them from fighting relegation to uh, overall playing some very balanced football and and punching above their weight. I'm not sure uh, if he would leave the club midway through the season, but I think that, uh, yeah, of, of the Portuguese managers mentioned, I would definitely say that that uh, Pedro Martins is the most likely uh, man available. You know, someone who's, who's done well in his previous gigs in Portugal, such as Rio Ave and Vitória de Guimarães, uh, who hasn't actually hasn't been in Portugal for I believe uh, six seven years um, has obviously been coaching Olympiacos for the past four years or so and done fairly well there managed to 
kind of restore their dominance in Greece, win quite a few titles, develop uh, a, quite a few promising players such as Jose Sa and Daniel Podens. So he has that benefit of having worked with some previous uh, Wolves, some some current Wolves players um, at Olympiacos. So he also, he also has those connections to a lot of Portuguese players who, who may be interested. Um, I think that Pedro Martins, you know, he, he has definitely um, done a good job at Olympiacos, was sacked on the back of a 4-0 defeat to Maccabi uh, Tel Aviv, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so some people said that it was the right time. Some people said it was a bit harsh. Uh, I do not watch Greek football on a regular basis, so don't have a great idea um, of of that. But I, I will say that, that the numbers speak for themselves. Um, he definitely uh, showcased that at Olympiacos, not just in terms of domestic, but also going going far, uh, fairly far in some European campaigns. I would, yeah, I definitely think that Pedro Martins would be my front runner. Julian Lopetegi, um, he. I think he, similarly to Martins at Olympiacos, his time at Sevilla, it has been a success. It's just gone stale. Um, they've lost Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos, haven't really been able to replace them, haven't really been able to add to their squad, get a uh, proven center forward. <laughs> it's similarly to Wolves. And uh, overall, just haven't been able to reinforce certain areas. So, yeah, it seems like it's only a matter of time before Monchi uh, sacks Lopetegi. They are currently hovering above the relegation zone. And from what I've heard, they are waiting for Sevilla to drop into the bottom three um, so that it would be half as half as costly to sack him. Um, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> there. But yeah, like I said, I think Pedro Martins is the most likely front runner. Um, I don't think that Sergio Conceição or Ruben Amorim would be interested in leaving Porto or Sporting at this point in the season. I do think, though, if 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 Wolves are uh, interested in going for a manager in in Portugal, I think that there are plenty of options, uh, plenty of managers who would leave their current teams for a shot at managing the Premier League. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't just be looking at the available Portuguese managers such as André Villas-Boas, Ricardo Suárez, um, but plenty, but but other coaches such as you know Petit at Boavista, Paulo Sergio at Portimonense, plenty of interesting man, uh, managerial options in the Primera Liga. I'm really interested in terms of Lopetegui, in particular, in terms of you know waiting for the right point to uh, the right point to sack him. Um, and and I, I'd not kind of put together the Pedro Martins Olympiacos and the fact we've pulled a couple of players from that area before. And that does usually kind of signal with Wolves where their, uh, I guess, their recruitment is. And I'm going to go to Stu now to wrap it up. Stu, a case for the defence. Let's hear I mean, why Wolves should hire Sean Dyche. You know, this obviously this started as a joke, okay? But the more I was thinking about it, my point my point was with this was the fact that, yeah, obviously Sean Dyche had a, a group of players at Burnley who are obviously not that good compared to what the rest of the Premier League is. And he got a lot out of very, very limited players. So my point was that if he had the chance to play to work with decent players and actual 
players with technical ability, what would that look like? And if he was foreign and it was this kind of thing, I mean, we're talking about hiring someone who finished mid-table in Germany. Why? Yeah, because the, the football, yeah, it's very different over there. But that's that was my main point with it all. Sean Dyche at Wolves, it would be chaos. Of course it would be. It, it doesn't make any kind of sense in any world at all. But like we were saying with Bert Svensson, that I kind of want to see that kind of chaos. I want to see what just what happens. Just seeing these players who've obviously got ability, just completely unleashed and have a bit of discipline about them. Play 4-4-2. Like I know you, you wanted me to say. But why not? When we like we said we've we've all been bored shitless from watching this kind of football for two three years now, and it's just something a bit different. That was my point with it. The fact that it, Deutsch was then <laughs> trending on Twitter the other night, and that silly tweet got like twenty five thousand views or whatever. Um, it is what it is. I, I doubt very much it's going to happen. And my point being that someone like that. Just give him a chance in the way that Redknapp got a chance from having doing wonders at Portsmouth and then getting the Spurs job, going in the Champions League and look what happened there. That's that's what my my thinking was. Just give the guy a chance. I mean, looking at this, I mean, Forrest losing four 0 to Leicester now. Steve Cooper might be in the frame. Who knows? <laughs> I was going to say, Sat, how much would we end up signing Gibbs White for in January? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it would it would happen. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a Dyche convert, Stu, but I don't disagree. And I, for large portions of the pitch, <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact we had no centre forwards, I d- so, there's kids in the under twenty ones. Just put them up front. <laughs> just just chuck him in <laughs> Andy you're, you are shaking your head in sheer disbelief all I'm going to say is when Saddam Troy had the best spell of his career playing as a right winger as an out and out number seven so to speak yeah and in the head 10 minutes get... when he, the 10 minutes on Saturday when he did that yeah. and he looked all right he looked, he looked not shit Pedro Neto is arguably a far better left winger than he is as a inside forward cutting in I, I don't dispute that but where, where i do dispute it is could you imagine sean dice dice looking after cultured players such as ruben neves it's just not going to happen i mean how is he going to try and tell Moutinho what he should be doing like you're used to playing with third rate players in burnley like you've got no real frame of reference to be coaching one of the all-time great players in Joe Moutinho. Yeah, but just, at the same point... Did you say the same thing it. about Graham Potter? Yeah, and well, like we just said, Bo Svensson. What, why would they listen to someone like Bo Svensson, who's, who's managed no one at all, who we know? That, that's fair, that's fair, yeah. But everyone's going wanking themselves silly over him because he's, he's a bit of a foreign name. <laughs> this, is, this is what my point was, that it's... Zach, what do you what do you think about Sean Dyche? I mean, he said himself that given the chance with good players, he doesn't have to play long ball football. It's you, you he's got he's had to do what he's had to do with the players that he's got. I completely agree. I think that look, Sean Dyche, uh, he did a fantastic job at Burnley, working with one of the lowest budgets in the entire Premier League, uh, and frankly, tailoring the squad to to a point where. You know, you can minimize their weaknesses 
and maximize um, their strengths. And I think he would do a similar thing with Wolves. I don't think he's necessarily a cookie cutter, my way or the highway kind of guy. Um, but yeah, with regards to how his how a potential four four two would work, I'm not. I, I'm. I can't really get wrap my head around it due to Wolves' lack of center forwards. Obviously, you could have uh, Neto and I guess Adama or Podens playing on the flanks, uh, or or Gonzalo Getch. Um, you could as well move Getch to kind of a second striker role where he really flourished in many uh, ways That's at easy. Valencia and playing someone like pr- pr- probably Diego Costa, given his physical. Uh, profile al- alongside Getch. That would be my idea. But, you know, once again, it is a bit, uh, it- it's a bit of a head scratcher. I-, I don't think that Wolves should be limiting themselves to just Portuguese managers, though. Uh, it is clear that there are plenty of managers who would, who would fit their bill. Um, and I-, I think that Deitch, I-, I don't think he would be Wolves' first choice, but. He definitely has a proven record of getting teams out of trouble, uh, shoring up the defense. And, yeah, I, I think it would be interesting. And one thing I will say is that, yeah, yes, you know, there is that factor of, is Sean Deitch, someone like him, going to tell someone like Joao Moutinho what to do? But another question is, should Joao Moutinho still be starting for Wolves? Mm, you, have Tunes, you have Ruben Neves. Could this be the season that Wolves kind of phase him out? Uh, there's an argument to, make, to be made that he's already been phased out by Portugal, not getting the uh, international call-up in the recent uh, in the recent Nations League fixtures. Remains to be seen, will he or will he not get called up for the upcoming World Cup? But uh, still a player who, who definitely has uh, capability to play an important role for Wolves. I'm just not too sure if it is going to be as a starter with Matthäus uh, and Ruben in 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 the team, but yeah, I I think like I said, I think that Pedro Martins will be uh, the next Wolves coach. That's just how I feel right now. He's done a fairly good job in Portugal as well as Olympiacos, despite his uh, despite that abrupt dismissal after four years in charge. But uh, for me, that that just seems like the most Wolves. Uh, the, the most Wolves choice, shall we say. And, of, of course, working with uh, Daniel Potence and uh, Jose Sa is an obvious boost. I mean, yeah. if you remember back to the, them two games against Olympiacos when he was in charge, they were one of the, two, two of the toughest games we had all season. Yeah, they were. I mean, we, we were lucky to get through that. And if they hadn't gone down to 10 men, I think it would have been a complete different game that night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's... Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a really interesting one to see how it plays out because you look at some of those candidates, I think there's some that are out of the question for different reasons than others, whether it's on style of play, finances, trajectory. Um, I think Wolves have got a really big decision to make because I don't necessarily think we'll go down. But I think if you, mm. if we get this wrong... That there could be alarm bells if we're not careful, and it's going to be a question of how much a new manager is backed as much as anything else um, at the club. I'm going to drag it back to Lars though, and kind of underpin where it sort of went wrong for him at, at the club because there, there were a few points where it just didn't quite pan out. 
um, in terms of as we've done it, the the L's of large ball. So in, in his time at Wolves, there were a few games that I was going to say give you an idea. Fifty-one games as a Wolves manager, he won nineteen, drew ten in the end, and lost twenty-two times. Um, with kind of I guess a, a several of those defeats and draws coming this season. Um, but I want to talk about I guess some of the turning points in this team before we kind of go on to the positives because there were a couple of real missed opportunities and some real pivot moments um i think those arsenal double headers i think it really knocked the confidence out of this Wolves team didn't they andy Mm. that second loss especially was a kick in the bollocks Mm. i mean we went one nil up and we never really looked completely comfortable but we got as close as damn it to winning it. And then not only did we not win the game, we actually ended up losing it very late on in, in the match. And then followed that up, if I remember correctly, wasn't it um, Crystal Palace later that week at home where we lost 2-0? And that just ended up being this just absolute disaster of a week that really changed the the way things were going for Lars. Because up until that point, we were not only looking for seventh, we were looking at the top four, weren't we, if I remember rightly? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're not. We're looking at, okay, maybe we'll get into Europe, standard Europe, not proper proper big boy Europe. Hmm. So, yeah, that that first one, yeah, it really was a, a kick in the nads. I mean, that, that, that Palace game as well, I think it was the fact that we all said exactly the same thing on the preview show or in, in the week before and saying we can't play the same midfield as got ripped apart as Celeste Park earlier in the season. And he mm. played the exact same formation with the exact same system and the exact same tactics. And the same thing happened again. And that was when, I think that was the first time I had a proper meltdown about it. Um, let alone yeah. the, the Herbert stuff that came out later on in that day. It was mm. the fact that he didn't learn from his mistakes from earlier on in the season when it was blatantly obvious what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but, that was infuriating because we'd learned our lessons previously, I think against Brentford where we didn't turn up in the first game, but we learned our lessons for the second game yeah. and palace, the, the template was there. We all knew it. And for one reason of the whole team struggled, but um, I, I do think the Hoover situation didn't help. Um, and, and as um, King Wolf 84 says on Twitter, Look at results after that point, and it what it did slump. And whether you can't say it was mm. injuries, whether it was playing morale, that that effect it did have an influence. Um, I, I really do think, and it ties into what Zach was saying earlier about the management style of his not necessarily quite clicking. And to be honest, it, it more than I guess for Man United um, fixture. I think the Connor Cody situation, I don't know whether it's just something that's it's quite easy for us as fans to discuss and, and, and to pivot because it was a fairly ambiguous ending for our captain and leader going. But Zach, from your perspective, how much do you think the departure of Connor Cody has, has influenced things around Bruno Large's departure? Yeah, I definitely think it was part of it, but I think there's there's so much. It's it wasn't just Connor Cody leaving because I think on the face of it, 
Connor Cody leaving is not necessarily an awful decision, especially when you're bringing in Nathan Collins as his replacement. Where it comes down to is really letting go of Connor Cody, uh, Willie Boley, Roman Seiss, uh, believe Fernando Marsal was this window. I'm not mistaken. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was released at the end of the season. Yeah. So you're letting go of four uh, fairly, you know, uh, experienced heads in central defense who are willing to do a job everywhere, who have Premier League experience um, and really just not able to replace them. Obviously, brought in Nathan Collins, but that's really kind of a, a, a strict and quantity quality over quantity approach, and that leaves you at risk when you know, as as Stu was mentioning, Nathan Collins already. Of three sending offs in his career, um, these players are going to get suspended. They're going to get injured. What happens when one of uh, when one of Kilman or Collins is out? And I, I think we we saw that answer with with the West Ham game, you know. Uh, and and I think that it it definitely encapsulated a lot of the issues with Bruno Lodge. And I think it boils down to his indecisiveness, perhaps being caught within uh, two minds. You know, if if he thought that Yersin Mosquera and uh, Tuti Gomes was good enough um, was good enough center back depth. Why doesn't he play uh, one or two of them against West Ham? Why is he going to play Ruben Nevsh in a position where he has never played uh, at all for for uh, to my knowledge for club or country in central defense or playing Johnny Castro as a center back? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You can either, you know, you can either keep hold of these experienced heads and have them for backup, or you can trust your young players. But you can't really uh, do what Bruno Lodge tried to do, which is shoehorn players in unnatural positions and expect them to perform. Uh, that's just, I think, part of it. And I, I think that I also think that with regards to the quality situation, um, there's a good chance that. Perhaps Lodge was feeling at odds with a lot of players who uh, had a prevalent role under Nuno Spirito Santo. There's a good <laughs> there were some uh, personality clashes between them. There's a good chance that you know Bruno Lodge is is perhaps reticent to some of those more experienced uh, heads who are going to call him out and and get into uh, debates and. You know, I think that uh, getting rid of them, you know, perhaps would have been a, an easy answer instead of talking it out and and uh, and and kind of trying to meet them halfway. Um, and I think that at a certain point, it really just snowballs, has a snowball effect um, to the point where you know you've gotten rid of not just so much uh, experienced depth, but also players who have an important role to play in the locker room players who have been around you know since wolves were in the championship since they were uh just making their making life for themselves in the premier league uh you get rid of them and that results in not the same team not the same dressing room dynamic um it's almost a bit like uh a game of of jenga you know you you want to take certain pieces out right you want to take uh you want to offload some of your aging uh, experienced players and, and push in some younger players, but you don't want to take all of them out at the same time because it's going to crash. 
I think perhaps uh, we saw a bit of that with regards to the Wolves. And, and I also think that in, in general, his man management skills uh, did not come to fruition at Mono and perhaps did not carry over uh, from what we saw at Benfica. You know, in largely Lodge, he did a very good job with uh, with with young players such as Getson Fernandes, Florentino Luis, Joao Felix, but also experienced players such as Pizzi, Harris Seferovic, overall just getting a really good balance between them. And yeah, it never really felt like uh, he, he, he was able to achieve that. It never really felt like he was able to uh, consistently improve these players and take them to the next level. And when you're a team like Wolves that focuses so much on trying to find the next big thing, right? Trying to find, you know, whether it's Matthäus Nunes, Nathan Collins, Ryan Eitnori, uh, all, so many promising young players, and you've got a manager who just whose whose system, whose tactics, whose management style, frankly, isn't getting the most out of him. It just becomes very difficult uh, to justify a uh, having him in charge for longer. Definitely. Um, I guess my next question, and it kind of loops to a little bit around what the turning points were for Large, and we, we've mentioned about the lack of centre forward realistically does a new manager whether it's one of those um six or seven we've highlighted do they solve the issue for you Stu? which is the fact that we don't really have much attacking prowess well he can't get any worse can he <laughs> um <laughs> and i i think what zach just said i, I think round pigs round holes just play players in their actual position and if you have to tinker up front like that, like you said about um, yeah, I, I don't like him. I've, I've, I've been on here enough times to say I don't like him, but last season as a second striker, like has been said, he played well. So, if it comes to that, and if we, if we have to sacrifice kittens or whatever to keep Diego Costa fit, then just do. Um, I mean, I thought, like, I put that tweet out on Saturday night, I thought he looked fitter and more interested than the whole rest of the attacking on the pad for months. And his little cameo, I thought he was superb. Apart from the header aside, yeah, fine. He hasn't played since January, um, December or whatever it was. I just think it got so ridiculous and it got so out of control that anyone who comes in now with a fresh slate, I mean, oh, like, we was, like Dan said in the group and stuff, that just telling them to get in the box <laughs> would mm. help things. Mm. And if they're not going to do that, then coach them to do that. Yeah, it might go wrong and it might get tits up like Dendonka blasting it over the bar all the time used to. But they're still there and they're still trying, and that's all we get that's all we want. We just we don't want tippy tappy sideways nonsense that ends nowhere once you get two thirds up the pitch. You can at least try and try and shoot on target and try and have a go, which is all we ask for. And I think just freshening it up is gonna bring that anyway, regardless regardless of new manager bounce or whatever. It can't be any worse, which is the bare minimum. So from that point of view, and the ones who've been the that is a good point as well. That the managers who've been listed are very different from each other. There's no like yeah. specific type, mm. which is a bit peculiar. But you think, well, okay, they've got various options they want to go down, different roads they want to choose, but any of them is better than what we've had in the last well, since April at least. 
Yeah, I, 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 I do agree. We can't literally get worse at scoring goals at the moment. It, 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 it is statistically impossible, isn't it? <laughs> um, unless we're Nottingham Forest. Um, and I, I do sort of think with, with Diego, you know, with a 34-year-old Diego Costa or whether it was going to be Jimenez, just drilling back into having that, Bruno Large referred to it as that reference point, and I couldn't get my head around it. And, you know, we talk about, oh, we're playing Daniel Podence or Guedes as a false note. It's like, no, we're not. No. We are playing an attacking midfielder there. They are not even that extra 10 yards up the pitch. And it was so apparent. And Goody would say, you know, we we drive a horseshoe onto the edge of the 18-yard box because that's all we could do because either the players didn't have the natural ability to get into the box or they weren't being coached well enough. And that that's the tricky thing for me. Um Mm-hmm. Andy, it wasn't all bad under large. I think it's important to remember that um, in terms of some of the victories. I think, to be honest, there's two highlight victories out of the 19, and that was Spurs and Man United. They, they were particular high points, but that Watford at home as well was a. It was great because you've had such a history against Watford <laughs> of, of dropping the ball, and especially with Ben Foster being in goal. Um, so that Watford one does rank quite highly in my my scrapbook of Premier League memories. But 19 victories is like that that's decent going. That works out to like what is it, 51 games, did you say he managed? Yeah. Which. Yeah. So that's like almost 40%, which is not a bad return. Um it's just when it went bad, it went really bad. But we did have some really good memories in there. Like you say, yeah, there's the Watford one, Spurs away was fantastic never imagined that because if i remember rightly hadn't we just come off the back of a bit of a a poor performance as well and then all of a sudden we hit the ground running that day brentford again like you said earlier we learned our lesson from the first game that could have gone horribly wrong i remember because uh gomez got sent off didn't he and then the red card was rescinded Mm. and it ended up being a bit of a, a manic day but it was great and obviously, you can't forget Aston Villa. Um, yeah. the, the last minute clusterfuck of a goal from uh, Ruben Neves' free kick was glorious, wasn't it? So I was going to say, my, my, my question, I guess, to Stu um, is that under uh, under um, Nuno, we, ha- we have some like genuinely like core Wolves memories, even in like Premier League. Do you think any of those 19 victories will come under that like core memory? Because even that Villa game, which... We were shit for 80 minutes. Yeah, coming back from 2-0 down against your nearest rivals at the moment to win 3-2. But we were genuinely crap for like five, you know, five-sixths of the game. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I wrote it down earlier, I had three. <laughs> and then I had to go and look at the fixtures from last season. So that's under yeah, you know, we had a longer period of time, obviously, and it started off great. But Spurs, Spurs away, and the fact that he bloodied Luke Cundall as well, and he played really well, mm, and then we never did, saw him yeah. again. <laughs> he just vanished, and when we had we had no choice, and then when he did play him, he played him out of position, which is again we've spoke on ad nauseum today. But um, Man United away was a brilliant performance, absolutely superb from start to finish. Yeah, they were a basket case, but it didn't matter. We were all we we 
well deserved, and it probably should have been more. Um, and Brentford again beat like we spoke of because he did learn his lesson from the first game when we were absolutely schooled. And yeah, you had the nonsense with the drone and the totty incident and whatever. <laughs> but it was a, a proper hard-fought victory away from home against a team like that who we'd struggled against. Again, like Watford, but Watford were a joke at that point, so it didn't really matter. Mm. It was just funny. But yes, I mean, you're looking at that and you think, okay, Man United away, Spurs away. None of the home games I even remember. It's like, well, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, Watford. But none Newcastle like, though. Newcastle was the birth of Huang Ki Chan as a, a super striker, and then it immediately died at ninety minutes because he never did anything again after that. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean that's the thing you have to kind of remind yourself of what happened and where we had. You obviously had the Man United FA Cup game and stuff, and the first game back in Everton or wherever. There's loads of good memories under Nuno, and obviously there will be. But I think like. We've we talked about all week and for the last few months. You think what is the legacy that Bruno Large has got? And he's just been he feels like a caretaker manager that's been left in charge for too long. <laughs> Someone in the uh, in the YouTube comments, uh, big thanks to everyone who's yeah, um, been commenting about you. Has, um, Colin, Colin Crowe's described Bruno's legacy as basically mm. the 21st century Colin Lee, which will mean absolutely nothing to Zach. <laughs> And uh, we, we almost don't have time to go into it, um, to be honest. Um, but a, a wonderful callback. Um, I guess sort of my last question I'll sort of round off is, was Bruno Large always set up to fail as Wolves manager? And was he the only, you know, can any of the blame be laid on anyone else's head and not just his from either um basically either people above him at boardroom level and recruitment or people below him in terms of the players um zach, zach what do you think i think that it's definitely a shared blame i mean wolves since a fantastic uh return to the premier league fact is they have been a team that feels have either been declining or stagnating uh, not just under Bruno Lodge, but under Nuno Spirito Santo as well. Um, and I would argue that that comes down to, anyways, a lack of investment in key areas. Um, of course, Wolves did back Lodge this summer heavily with, with a lot of signings. Um, of course, with, with Nasa Kodzic out, the most important signing, uh, in, in my opinion, was not able to uh, showcase his potential under, under Bruno Lodge. But I think that um, you do have to look at the board, uh, what, what has happened there and their uh, business with transfers. Um, I think that depth continues to be a big issue for Wolves. It was a big issue under Nuno Spirito Santo, um, and it clearly is an issue when you're looking at Ruben Neves and Johnny Castro playing as center backs. Um, but, of course, Bruno Lodge, he does need to take uh, – accountability for a lot of these issues and uh, i think one of that is just not being decisive enough with the system that he wants to implement and another is just not creating not having a team set up that is creating enough genuine chances um as well as just getting rid of so many veteran voices as we mentioned connor cody um willie bully as well as uh, you know, Hoover, John Ruddy, some very important voices. Um, and I think that, you know, you have to look at Lodge's culpability for it. 
Um, overall, I don't, I can't, I, I'm not going to say that he underperformed or overperformed my expectations because I think this is just about what I expected from Lodge. Um, he, you know, he had only one real managerial spell at Benfica where, you know, had a very good uh, few months to end his first season and a, a season that kind of the, the train uh, wheels fell off the tracks, if you will. So this is just about what I expected. Um, although I'll admit, I, I did not see Lodge being one of the first managers to get the sack. I think prior to the season, I, I thought Brandon Rogers, Steven Gerrard, Scott Parker were the names that were going to be likely. Um, I did not have Bruno Lodge there. I, I did think that he would be able to improve uh, the team's form, but clearly I think you've, you've given him, they've given him enough time uh, to sort things out. Um, my biggest question is, you know, why didn't they do it before the international break and why wait until after? So, yeah, I think that this this next managerial change, it is definitely the most important one that, that this uh, Fosen ownership will have made over the past few years because Wolves seems like for the first time uh, since their return are under a genuine threat of relegation. And I think... Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think that Pedro Martins will end up getting the job, but uh, I also think that Wolves will have a, a busy January window because there are just certain uh, areas of their squad that still need to be reinforced. Um, my expectations are not that high with Diego Costa. I, I'm just not sure how his body is going to hold up in the Premier League. Wasn't really the same player uh, he, he was when he returned to Atletico Madrid you know, did fairly well for Atletico Minero, but going to the Premier League, it's it's another question. So I think that Wolves are going to sign uh, one or two center backs in the January window. And I also think uh, center forward is going to be another big priority. There are a few Portuguese players I would definitely keep an eye out uh, if I was a Wolves fan. Um, a few that come to my mind, Vitinha doing very good uh, at Braga. Um, I would also add uh, Beto at Udinese, a player who's, who's, who I've been keeping an eye on since his time at Portimonense, um, and you know potentially Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, th- there are definitely a few center forwards in Portugal that that aren't Portuguese who I think would do a good job, such as Simon Banza at Braga. But uh, yeah, overall, I do think that they are going to need uh, to spend big on a striker in January. Yeah, one thousand percent. Um, my, my only sort of count, unless we can somehow bring back Fabio Silva, that'll be my. Uh, I don't. I feel that there isn't any clauses to bring him back part way through. Um, because again, it is crying out that we we are going to need reinforcements if we're going to do anything above finishing fifteenth, sixteenth. Which there is a core group of players apart from that front area where we can and should be doing better. I mean, Stu, in terms of from the players' perspective, do you think they need to be a bit more accountable for how they've um, how they've played? Or do you think, frankly, it is just their level? Especially when you look at, you know, some of the, you know, the, the goal-scoring stats across that front attacking line. Yeah, and he even said it himself that these players have not scored goals in their career. <laughs> Yeah. And 
I mean, I, I've been obviously attacked as as per usual for saying how shit they all are. Um, but they don't have goals in them, do they? And they just—that's just a fact. Uh, they're not goal scorers prolifically. I mean, even Raul wasn't until he came here. To be fair, um, so it does show that it can happen. But like we've said, that they've never really given themselves a chance. And from April onwards, they effectively down tools for whatever reason, whatever happened, we'll probably never know. I mean, we might have ITKs who pretend to be ITKs and know everything on Twitter and then whisper that they know things and not tell us. Who knows? Um, but we'll never really know the full story, will we? But they've got to take some responsibility because they have, they have not performed to the best of their ability. And you saw that when they went off to play international football and they were like different players. And the mm. same thing happened under Nuno at the end as well, um, where they'd go off to play for Portugal especially and there would be world beaters and then they'd come back here and be awful. Um, but I think, I think well, we, I didn't mention in the, the last section there when he said about the highlights. The highlights for me, the best we've played in the Premier League was in three games that we lost, <laughs> his first three games. Awesome. Where he yeah. actually showed with a with Nuno's old mm. system with a back three, we were absolutely superb. We battered them, then three teams, and just lost. But again, it wasn't it was unfortunate. But if we'd have carried on playing that way for the rest of that season, we'd have probably finished about the same place, and it would have been a lot more entertaining than it was. So, for the the fact that he went, I think that's what Zach was saying about how indecisive he he was at times as well. That he changed his whole game plan after three defeats two of which it was against top top teams which no one was really bothered about yeah i think we went we went, literally went yeah we literally went into his first three games i remember doing a podcast and interviews and i went into stocks he's saying oh we'll most likely lose our first three games don't judge us on that judge us after the first six and after six games we were sitting all right i think i think we had maybe five points i want to say and went okay. This is this is going to be fine. But he did the same thing this preseason. Again, we we looked back to as I managed to smack my laptop. We we played four two three one basically the entirety of preseason, and then it comes to the crunch in the Premier League. He goes to this four three three of having you know three well two very deep midfielders and then a midfielder who plays basically on the right wing. Which he did with Dendonka, and fortunately, Mateus Nunes is has an extra bit of skill set, and he's still obviously developing in this team. But we still seem to be playing the same thing we were doing last season, and it was almost like we just, I didn't learn, or we couldn't, he couldn't quite get his message message across um, in regards to what he was doing. As as you know, currently no manager's been announced. It, time will tell whether we have a new manager in charge before we play Chelsea. Currently, though, um, it's it's going to be Steve Davis and James Collins, who I guess rather interestingly, it's gone a bit full circle for um, Steve Davis, hasn't it? Who was a manager who was linked to a job way back in you know 2013 um, when when we went and hired Kenny Jacket instead, who was joined the club. Um, in, in kind of a different route and he'll be alongside uh, Cameron coach James Collins the only coach in Elijah's backroom staff who has stayed on um, as being reported by uh, Liam Keane at the Express and Star uh, is Tony Collins and it'll be uh, Tony Robbins oh, did I say Tony Robbins? you said Tony Collins but 
Tony Collins even <laughs> off. <laughs> um, very interesting if Tony Roberts, if that is his real name, um, carries on as goalkeeping coach under a, a new manager. I mean, I do think it's quite interesting around Steve Davis, Andy, for say it's, it's, it's always been a long time coming for him to get this seat. Is there any chance that he gets a job permanently? <laughs> uh, like, I, I do feel for him, but he hasn't got a chance in hell, has he, to get a job full time. <laughs> but it must be a dream come true for him to be able to take us down to, um, I was going to say White Hart Lane, to uh, Stamford Bridge on, on Saturday. I think he must be over the moon that he's going to get to take us down to Chelsea and actually lead the team. So, fair fox to him for, for hanging on. I mean, when was it, Jackie? What was that, 2011, was it, when we got him in? 13. 13, was it? So, yeah, it's been a, a long old time and he's been a name who'd been linked with us even before then. So, yeah, I bet he's chomping at the bit and uh, he, he can't quite believe what's uh, what's happened here. Yeah, I've got one last question for a few of you guys. I want to end it on a slightly more light-hearted note because I feel we've dived right into it um, and given some really great analysis and it's been a fantastic show. Question I want to leave you on, guys, is fictional or non-fictional? Who would you love to see manage this Wolves side? Andy, I'm looking to you first. I'm thinking Ted Lasso. I mean, Ted Lasso is the one, isn't he? I, I feel like we're such a... At the moment, we feel like we're in the doldrums and Ted Lasso would really bring some some charisma and some uplifting belief into the team. He would be the perfect man to, to take us forward, I think. Stu, how about you? Outside of, outside of the world of football, even in the world of football, Who'd spark that light for you? Mr. Instagram himself, Mourinho. I thought you were going to say Mr. Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just to annoy Gully more than anything else with that. He'd just be amazing, wouldn't he? Just for for 18 months to two years until it all went chaos and wrong. But Jose Mourinho here, oh, it'd be like a dream come true. Gonzac, how about you? Who would be your wildly left-field option? <laughs> um, I actually have not watched Ted Lasso. My parents... Uh, <gasps> <watched> it, <laughs> I just... I watch so much football that I don't really feel like I want to watch a show about football. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Fictional or non-fictional char- character to manage Wolves? I'm going to have to go with Fernando Santos because that would mean I wouldn't <laughs> manage yeah. Fernando Santos anymore. Um, <laughs> on a serious note, I probably a, another Portuguese manager. Um, one one manager who, you know, I think there are a lot of it, it, Portuguese managers who would do a, a fine job at Wolves. One name uh, who I'd be looking at alongside likes of Petit at Boavista, um, or uh, Philippe Martins at Casa Pia, or Paulo Sergio at Porto Manch. One name that is actually available is Ricardo Suarez. He did a very good job at Chil Vicente last season, uh, led them to fifth place finish and uh, first ever European qualification in club's history, developed uh, plenty of promising youngsters such as Samuel Lino and Zay Carlos, uh, eventually took charge of Alali, and had a poor spell there, did not last even uh, two months in Egypt with Alali, finishing uh, third outside of the top two for the first time 
in, I think, 30 years. So not a great run of it in uh, one of the biggest clubs in Africa and one of the most demanding clubs as well. But I do think that he is going to get a decent-sized job soon, probably in Portugal. Um, but, yeah, I think that I think that Wolves, if, if the next manager does not work out, I definitely think they should be considering him uh, down the line as a potential option. He did a great job with that uh, Gil Vicente side, and I, I think that he would be an option I'd be looking at in the perhaps not short-term, but definitely long-term future. Definitely. Be interested to see how, um, how that plays out. I guess if he's not going to be major this time, maybe the one after uh, the next one. Big thank you to everyone who's joined us this evening. Um, really hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, big thanks to everyone who's been on the comments as well. So I mean, maybe we get through all of them um, as well. Um, but as always, big thanks um, to Pixel Yeti Media and 90 Min for supporting the channel. Make sure you're following us at Wolves Fancast um, for all your Wolves lols and trolls. Um, and big thanks to Zach Glory for joining us um, from um, from the states today. Zach, little plug. I was going to say little. You can have a large plug for your um, for your um, Bruno Large. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can find me on Zach Lowy, Z A C H L O W Y on Twitter as well as BTLVid. Uh, breakingthelines.com and yeah, BTLVid on Twitter. Uh, we do have quite a few Wolves uh, content. Just recently uh, published an article on Nathan Collins, so definitely have a lot of interesting Wolves content uh, coming your way, as well as other uh, stories from around Europe and elsewhere. Thousand percent. Make sure you go check it out, guys. Um, until next time, which will be when we are previewing the Chelsea game, it's goodbye from Zach. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, and I uh, hope to be on again soon. Pleasure to have you back, and we yeah definitely welcome to have you back on a show this season. It's goodbye from Stu. Do the Deutsch thing. Tra. It's goodbye from Andy. Take care, everybody. It's goodbye for me. See you next time.